This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go, hey, gets a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judging blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. This is going to be a little more of a brief edition of A's Cast Live. Doug Glanville, you call him the smartest man in baseball, former player, now broadcaster. He's a professor at UConn, graduated from Penn. Had a great career as an outfielder, but a lot of TV you've seen on ESPN. But uh, he's calling the series the Philadelphia-Arizona series as we do have a series down in the Valley of the Sun. Games yesterday, it was Arizona over Philly 2-1. to one. Houston wins again. The Road Warriors continue their journey as they beat the Rangers 10-3. to three. But down in Arizona, they had to get it done. They had to win. You go down 0-3. That's like, thanks for coming. Tori Lovello and the boys pulled it out. Marte, this guy has been such a catalyst for them. Our first walk off of the postseason, and the Snakes are still alive. I believe that's the third walk off in Arizona uh, Diamondbacks history. Oh, you're so. going to go back to 07 and Game Seven of the World yeah, Series. There's only there was a, there's only been a couple. They've only been to the postseason a couple times, so. Uh, good for them to get back into the series. Uh, Brandon Fopp hits very well. I know Torrey is getting booed by the home fans there at Chase Field. Five and two-thirds, only at 69 pitches, but it paid out. It, you know, in the end, it worked out for them, and they get the win, and they're in the series. And then, I mean, Houston. I mean, I what I tell you? I said they, they, they got them right where they want them, right where they want them. Now, we're, now we got Verlander, Montgomery yet again in game five today. It's going to be a good day of baseball. Is it – I mean, is this the 2019 World Series all over again where the road team wins every single game? Where you have even Alex Rodriguez said last night, I mean, if there may be one thing he has said the entire postseason that actually was interesting, that you hold serve on the road, that's the most, you got your road field advantage. You've never heard anybody talk about that except – in the 2019 World Series where the Nats won every game on the road and the Astros won every game on the road. Holding road advantage. I mean, it's insane. When you think that the Astros have won 18 of their last 24 games, now you can go into these type of stats because it's pretty much a lot of the same core, but the Astros have won 18 of 24 road playoff games. They've won eight of nine games at Globe Life this year. 
It is literally unbelievable. They've outscored the Rangers in their home yard in these nine games now, 81 to 40. Yeah. They're averaging nine home runs per game, or nine runs per game. A game? With, yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. Nine home runs yeah. a game? Nine runs per game in uh, and, and those nine games with 26 home runs. So they're just owning wow. Globe Life Field this year against the uh, cross-state rival Texas Rangers. Now you want to say tonight's game where Jordan Montgomery, who I'm not going to say he's been their best guy because evaldi has been pretty good. But Jordan Montgomery, if they do not hold serve here at home and they go down, now you're telling the Astros, once again, though, didn't happen in 19, something about in a year where the Astros can't win at home. But, man, I'm feeling damn good if I'm the Astros and I take three. I take three in your home yard. Do whatever you need to do at home. Paint the backdrop again. I, 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 that's who know? I, I don't know. We'll ask Doug Glanville what he thinks. I mean, it's just crazy to think that you're brutal at home. We know, though, this isn't like for the Astros a random thing. You know, when you when you give this that note of you've won eight of nine there this year and outscored them 81 to 40, that means you've enjoyed this new yard. You've enjoyed – there's certain places that you just like to hit. You like to play away from home. Usually your home turf is where you like it the most because that's what you're used to. But there's certain places you get out on the road and it's like, oh, man, I can't wait to get in the batter's box. And that is clearly Globe Life Field for the Houston Astros. They love playing in this yard. And it's crazy. Last night was the first time since May 21st of this year against the Colorado Rockies that Globe Life Field opened the, they had the roof open at Globe Life Field. That was a major thing for you yesterday. Yeah. You start you started text thread. Uh, I know because uh, you know it, it was just it was wild to see that they, it was the first time they opened. It's like why all of a sudden are you opening it for a playoff game? So apparently it was like with it was like uh, John Blake from the Astros or the Rangers was tweeting it out from the PR staff that essentially it's like MO, part of MOB's like guidelines or something like that or monitoring and they, and they determined that the roof should be open. It's like the why was the roof open in Houston? Maybe if they do, maybe if they open the roof in Houston, maybe they'll win a game because they can't win it. You know, when the roof's closed, that it is a bizarre note because it's kind of like, why wouldn't you want the roof open? That's why you built it that way. So when you do have beautiful, maybe spring or especially fall, where at this time of the year Texas can be really, really nice, why wouldn't you want the roof open? That makes no that makes no sense. Or is it like a competitive advantage? You feel the, I don't know, whatever. Because obviously, once you open the roof, things change, right? Things change. You, 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 you're bringing in weather, you know. Because I, if I remember correctly, in 2020, it was either in the NLCSs or it was in the World Series when we were playing there. There was a little swirling of the wind inside the ballpark. Now, Texas is windy as hell, right? You never know. But if it's beautiful outside, you don't have wind, why wouldn't you open it? And they haven't opened it since May? May 21st against the Rockies, a game they won, Texas won 13-3. Well, I, you know, I wonder if it is so brutally hot in Texas that fans just love to be getting inside and getting in the air conditioning and they don't care. 
You think they tried to have like even on really warm days, you'd still have it open. I guess that's not the case. Yeah, I, I was at a game last year when the Rangers were playing the Nats, I believe, in June, and obviously the roof was closed then. It was 110 degrees outside. It was like I remember the uh, PA the PA announcer said that hey, it's 110 degrees outside, but it's a cool. And calm, 70 degrees here in Globe Life Field, and everyone was, like, clapping and a standing ovation because <laughs> it was so nice inside Getting the ballpark. Getting their boom sticks, that yeah. ridiculous hot dog <laughs> that they have. But why wouldn't you, if it's a beautiful night out, or even just a nice warm night, why wouldn't you open the roof? There has to be a reason. I, I, maybe it's cost. I mean, why would you not open up the roof and have the stars out? And it's a beautiful night, and, you know. I'm looking. The high today in Arlington is going to be 91. That's during the day, so it'll probably be nicer once you get yeah, towards night. The it's going to be like in the 70s. Why wouldn't you open the roof? There's got to be some. Maybe it's maybe it costs X amount of dollars to open up to open the thing. Yeah, they, that costs a lot. Of, that takes a lot of uh, energy and power to open up that roof. But then why would you put if you're not going to open it? Why would you build it like I that? Know, that makes no <laughs> sense. Uh, looking forward to tonight though, because I tell you what. Now wait. Oh, okay, never mind. I want, I saw Seawald. I'm like, he's not starting. That's Matt to play. I hate this strategy by Arizona. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You know my old college coach, the Hall of Famer, Sam Perraro, claims to have really started and implement this in baseball. Do you know that? What, uh, the, the bullpen game? Now, it was not called a bullpen game. It was called a staff game. And this was something that he implemented years and years ago at Mission College. So my old head coach, Sam Perraro, won two junior college championships before going to San Jose State. So he is in the Mission Hall of Fame as long as <laughs> – and the San Jose State Hall of Fame, and he's in the city of San Jose Sports Hall of Fame. He's in like five, six Hall of Fames. But he he says, listen, I implemented this in the 80s, and we did it at San Jose State and did it really well, where it was basically a bullpen game means I'm going bullpen guys. Staffing game says, okay, I'm going to take X amount of guys, could be starters, could be relievers, whatever. You're going to, you're going to. So I, in these games, when I was on the team, I would always have the later innings. Because I was a predominant, until my senior year, I was a reliever. I relieved, closed. So I would get innings like six and seven, five and six, you know, right around it. So you'd have a guy lead it off, go two or three, and then – and so basically you staff the game. It can be well done if your guys are used to doing it. Why did it work for us? And if you go back and look, it worked well. And I know it's college, but we did it against – you know, we do it a lot on Tuesdays when we would play – Stanford, and we played Cal, and we played Santa Clara. And, you know, when you're playing Stanford, they're always going to be nationally ranked. Cal had good teams. We had good teams. We'd be nationally ranked at certain points. And it was very effective. 
But at the big league level, you know, it's the same strategy that we tried at Yankee Stadium. That would have been 2019? 18. 18? 2018, where it would be the exact same. Now, this was all, we're going to go all relievers. And you basically go first two innings, Liam. Can't even remember how it went because it was Liam, Lou was in there, Trinan was in there. How did we try and do it? I'm going to pull it up right now. I know you are. You immediately go to the computer. Well, because I don't remember. I just remember Liam started the game. Did not go well. And that's the whole point. Uh, Let's see. 7-2 Yankee win, obviously. Liam started. It was uh, – it went Liam, Trevino, Sean Kelly, the former Nat, uh, Fernando Rodney – Blake Trinan, uh, Jerry's Familia. Those are the guys that, that we used in that game. Trevino went three innings. Trinan went two innings. So when I'm looking at what the D-backs need to do today, and that's why it would be great to have Doug, Doug Glanville on, is their two best guys are obviously Seawald and Ginkle. That's what you got to get the game to. For this thing to be successive, successful, for you to staff it and say, all right, this is a success. You've got to get it either tied or the lead to your two best guys. Now, I don't know how much you can project Kinkle and Seawald can go for you. Now, is that three innings? Is it four innings? But that's the kind of here you've got this chain, and it just takes one part of the chain to get screwed up you know, like a bike chain, and then all of a sudden it pops off and now you can't ride your bike anymore. takes one guy in that chain to screw it up. It's like that old conversation game, like I tell you something, and then you t- and then by the time it gets all the way back around, the story's completely changed. It takes one person to start screwing it up. So I know they got to get to Seawald, who pitched yesterday, and you got to get to Ginkle. Those are their two best. How you do that, so you got Mantiply. Nothing says playoff baseball like Joe Mantiply leading off. He was an all-star last year. And then, uh, yeah, but his numbers aren't that great this no, year. No, it wasn't a good year like it was last year. But that, you know, it's, that's kind of baseball and relievers, right? You just kind of don't know. I mean, Ryan Thompson, I got to think, he's funky as hell coming from down here. He's got to get in the – like, what can he give you? What can a guy that that comes from a, from comes from down low – could he give you two? What a weapon that could be. Because you know what? Once a guy drops down and he's funky, if he's on, he's tough to hit. Can he give you two? Can Mantiply give you two? Can Ryan Thompson give you two? Now now I'm at four innings. And I already know at the back I got Ginkle and I got Seawald to give me three. Well, four and three is what? Seven. So now I just need to get two out of like some of these lefties. I mean, Saul Frank, can he give me one? Lefty, Kyle Nelson, can he give me one, two? And they have another starter in their in their bullpen, too. Slade uh, Sacconi is in there as well. He made four starts this year in seven games. Oh, my God. He's but made he, four starts. And he hasn't pitched since when? Uh, How many times have we said this? When's the last time these guys have pitched? It was, it was like yesterday in our text thread. I was like, I completely forgot Martin Perez is even a Ranger. I know. <laughs> I know. Martin Perez. 
Uh, he pitched in game two, did uh, Ciccone. Uh, so he won one inning in game two. So that was it. The 10 nothing loss, he pitched in that game. He pitched in that game, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like you think about Martin Perez, you think about Taiwan Walker, you think about some of these guys, and you go, oh, yeah, there they are, cheerleaders in the dugout, and they're not playing whatsoever, and everybody's talking about how they have no pitching. Yeah, like the, the Phillies are starting Christopher Sanchez, a left-handed starter. You know, not a lot of fanfare with him when you have Taiwan Walker you're paying $72 million to. Well, this is something we got to ask Doug Glanville coming up here. How much do you put this on Madison Bumgarner? How much do you look at this and you go, Madison Bumgarner, this is why they paid him the, I want to pay him 85, 80 something million. I think it was five for 85, yeah. So this is why they paid him. They paid him to be one of these guys, so this would have never, this would have never happened. Right now, we didn't know when Masson Bum. We didn't know who Fought was when Masson Bumgarner signed, but Bumgarner would have been in in you know I I don't know exactly Kelly, uh, Gallant. Bumgarner would have been in here. Fought would have been here. That gives you four. That's all you need. But if you and you go back and you look at it, Masson Bumgarner would not listen to Brent Strom their guru pitching coach, who's helped so many great pitchers, including a lot of the guys with the Astros. So it wasn't like he has doesn't have a the track record. Guys have been doing it forever. Dan Heron, former A, former D-back. Pitching strategist for the D-backs. Wouldn't listen to him. Fought with him. As he's getting lit up, and they're trying to help him as coaches. They're trying to, like, Madison, you need to change. You need to – he wanted no part of it. I mean, this is why this this exact scenario is why they signed Madison Bumgarner for to be in the playoffs and to be the guy, the guy that's been there and done that before. And it's not Madison Bumgarner hasn't retired. And I didn't see one. Twenty nine other teams, I did not see one different note, rumor of anybody looking to sign. Masson Bumgarner, and he is not retired. No, he's, and he's only 34. It's not like he said, I'm done. He could turn in his papers. But there wasn't one playoff team. There wasn't one team that needed it. No one tried to sign him. Yeah, it's a really odd, and they didn't. Well, let's, let's put it this way. Arizona took the high road on the way out. Hayes in their GM. Tori Lovello, Brent Strom, Dan Heron, they all took the – didn't say he was a problem. But you know there's a problem. If if the guy that you paid to be the top dog doesn't want to listen to the pitching coach, doesn't want to li- listen to the pitching strategist, doesn't seem like Dan Heron's a bad guy. I mean, I haven't talked to him in years. But Dan Heron's a good dude. And they're trying to help you get better as you are getting lit up. And, I mean, he's getting lit up. He's gotten lit up the entire time. Other than his seven-inning no-hitter, he got lit up in Arizona. <laughs> he had a 523 career ERA. and 523 in Arizona? Yeah. He was a 15-32 and 32 with a 523 career uh, career ERA and 69 starts for the Diamondbacks. This is why they paid you was for these moments. And now they're in the NLCS despite you. Think about that. Despite you. 
They told him, you got to go. We are better without you. So today, I don't want to make this show about Madison Bumgarner, but I was thinking about this last night as I was preparing for the show, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm looking at MLB Network, throwing up all these different graphics and everything, and they brought up the graphic of all these different relievers and guys who could go today, and they're going to staff this game. And I'm thinking, this should be a game that fought should be starting today because at some point in the first three games, Madison Bumgarner, who was just on the team, should have been – he should have been in one of these games. And it's amazing no one's bringing that up. Yeah, it's – for a guy that I get, we yeah. move on. We yeah. move on. Obviously, you say as a team, we've moved on from the guy. I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, they, they they moved on and they're professionals. But in our neck of the woods, I mean, obviously, what he did his entire career in the postseason, Bumgarner, even at the I remember what how old was he like 21, 22 when he started against the Rangers in 2010 in the World Series. He would have been, because I have it right here, Bumgarner would have been, 2010, he was 20 going going on 21, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's like 21 years old, went out in the ballpark in Arlington. If I remember correctly, he pitched the game in Arlington, and he was nails. I mean, massive Bumgarner, 10, 12, 14. I mean, he came out of the bullpen at 14 like a, like a hero, riding in on like a Superman, kind of the Randy Johnson that we saw in 01. That's what, that's what Arizona was expecting. Let's ask Doug Glanville. He's calling this series. As we say, he's one of the smartest guys in all of baseball. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Doing real good out here. I'm out in Phoenix and um, on the road, time zones, planes. It's like, uh, you know, like the plane does, man. I feel good. Well, I got to say this. We got to give you some love because been listening to you. Um, a lot of people don't understand that when you're doing radio that, People can't see what you're talking about. Like, it's easy, right. it's easy when you're doing TV and you go, well, you see the left fielder, he slipped, you saw it. But I mean, listening to you, you do a great job of not only explaining the game, but you're actually helping explain what is going on. Too many people, as they're driving their car, they don't think about it. Radio is the theater of the mind. You can say anything you want. They got to believe you. <laughs> I want to commend. I want to commend you on not only how you explain the game, but how you let people know as you're listening what really is going on. You're able to paint that picture. I appreciate that. It's um, you know, it's a adjustment when you first start doing radio this consistently to realize that you know you have to paint the picture, you have to describe and have the words and do it in a timely fashion. Uh, and sometimes it's happening with information coming in. You know, you think about instant replay, right? It's like Oh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what happened. Is he yeah. he's on the base? And so you're trying to get that and synthesize. Um, it helps having John Shambi or my partners, you know, you know, Roxy Bernstein and and many of the others, uh, Dave Jagler. Uh, they they help me a lot too to kind of you know get their eyes on it and share information. But, but um, what's what I found interesting about radio is you don't you don't have as much time as I, I kind of think you would have to tell us a lot of stories like uninterrupted stories because you can't miss the action. So, uh, so you think radio, you're talking more true, but you also have to be more descriptive uh, because you can't let that pitch go or you have to really make sure. So, um, you know, that part I've really learned how to like put that aside or like figure out how to do it, pause and come back to it. 
And, um, you know, I feel like it's, you know, worked well, but I, I enjoy it a lot. You get to talk to all the players and the coaches before the game. You just, you can really kind of go any direction uh, once you synthesize all this information pregame uh, to be able to marry it with what happens in the real life action of the game. Well, we're, we're big D-back fans on this show. Tori Lovello's a former A. He comes on this show. I, I have written here on our old swing and A's. Last time Tori was on, he uh, talked about the thing they're built on, love, trust, commitment, and effort. I wrote it on the back of this so I never forget it. We had Luis Gonzalez on yesterday. Uh, Dan Heron's down there. So there's a, there's a little A's connection, yeah. so we're always rooting for the D-backs. And I thought, man. If they, they just got to get back home, they just got to get that one win because they have been pretty good at home this year. Winning in Philly, as we all know now, it's one of the greatest home field advantages we've ever seen in our game. So just talk about how going from Philly, going to Arizona, and seeing Arizona get that walk-off win, what that does to their mojo and what that does to this series. Yeah, We certainly talked to Tori Lovello about that before the game. And, you know, he was consistent in what he said about it. He's like, look, you know, it's a narrative shift if you can just get that one win. You know, just the conversation changes. You're not like down 3-0. You're not, you're like, wait a minute, you're kind of in this. Uh, even if you go back to game one, where, you know, started off the Phillies home run, home run, home run, home run. And then it was like a lull. And then the Diamondbacks got like three runs. You're like, wait a minute, this is a game. And it was a game they had no control over for like the first six innings. And then you're sitting there going, they could have stolen that game. So even the games that seem like the Phillies sort of dominated, there's always pockets in there that something could shift one way or the other if you get a couple of hits together and string them together. So I think Tori Lovello knew how to communicate that, look, we just, we're home. It's a whole different stage. There's not, you know, 80,000 Philly fans. You know, they're cheering for you now. Uh, all those things were uh, something that they could tap into to realize that, it's a whole different season coming home now and being able to play uh, on this stage. And they proved it, you know? I mean, what about Brandon fought? I mean, man, yeah. the guy was just lights out. So, you know, that was a guy that, you know, they're buried for dead. Like, oh, the number three starter, Diamondbacks are done, no chance. I was like, well, he pitched well against the Dodgers. So, you know, you never know. You kind of forget like, oh, by the way, the Diamondbacks swept the 101 win Dodgers, just wiped them out. So it's like, that, that's something, right? I mean, so I think you just can't count anybody out. And uh, the D-backs, you know, their offense wasn't explosive, but it was good enough, and it got, you know, the timely hitting they needed. Yeah, the strategy going tonight, the strategy, I have a problem with it. Uh, and we were, before you got on, my old college coach, Sam Perraro, he's a Hall of Famer here at San Jose State in the city of San Jose, won a lot of games, been to the College World Series. He claims to have invented the, invented the staffing game because we used to do this all the time. I hate it because it just takes one guy to screw it up, right? It takes one guy. It can look good, and then one guy comes in, but that's what we're going to go with. And I know you were probably – I don't know if you could hear us in the back. We were talking about Mass and Bumgarner. Obviously, this is more a Bay Area thing because Bumgarner is such a big deal here. It's like people forget he was supposed to be here. He was supposed to pitch in one of these games, which would have eventually would have pushed fought back to today. And, <laughs> like, I don't know how much you guys will talk about it. I don't even know how much you've even thought about it. But that's, you know, that's the – you know, the D-backs, you start to see – the lack of pitching in baseball, like in a game seven, 
or a seven-game series, you start to see teams scrambling just for a four-starter. Yeah, and that's not the – the Phillies don't have that problem. That's no. why they're so dangerous. Um, but, yeah, the look, the ERA of the Diamondback pitchers after Gallen and Kelly is 5.77. I mean, their starters just – They've been they've been just like lighting lighting fires, and um, but you know fought just got better and better. I mean you know that's the thing, and you never know how people will respond. But yeah, they have you forget they have Zach Davies, they have Kyle Gibson, they have all these other cats, uh, Bumgarner, and if they were like a hundred percent right and they're at their best, that would be a different thing. But they're not. But once again, the D-backs still won with their third starter. That's baseball, and and they're they're back in it because of you know the quite character that was not written in the script on day one in Brandon Fopp, but he pitched a, Fopp pitched a great game. So um, that's why you just don't know. And uh, there's no doubt that the, the fact that they are able to uh, gain this win is just a huge confidence boost because now you know you can win all kinds of games if you just execute on the mound. I mean, that is critical. No doubt. And when, when you talk about Philly, I mean, obviously you know a lot about it, your college days, your playing days. We always think of Philly as this is the toughest town to play in, right? These are the guys throwing snowballs at at, at Santa Claus. They're booing Mike Schmidt, the greatest Philly of all time. But for all that, you talk about Eagles fans and everything. To see when you flip it and they're giving all the love that they can give, when now that you go back as a former player and you look at Citizens Bank and you look at just this home field advantage, have you ever seen – anything like it when Philly turns on all the love for the team? <laughs> no, I, I can't say I have. I mean, there's some great fan bases throughout sports, so there's no doubt that they're not alone. But from a baseball standpoint uh, and knowing Philadelphia, I, I've never seen it quite like this. And, you know, I, didn't, I played for a lot of teams that weren't very good, so that's definitely part of it. But the new ballpark, which opened up in, in 04, and then having the 08 teams and the good teams and now the expectation – and I think I think we're all different as a society, right? You come out of the pandemic, and you know, just things kind of shift a little bit. And and now, you know, Trey Turner is a guy that they wanted over there, Bryce Harper, and they're like said, well, maybe we have an ability to improve a player performance in another way. You know, we're not going to necessarily motivate them in one way by just getting on them. Maybe it is about something else, and they kind of leaned into that. Alec Bohm, you know, guys that responded, and that's the test in and of itself. You get the support, then what do you do with it, right? And Turner turned into this, you know, mega all-star. He was already a great player, but he kind of found it again. And uh, I think it's good to see that there's this versatility of response for Philly fans because I, I felt like there was still plenty of support when I was playing there. You just didn't necessarily get it in mass like that, but you always got it. You know, the fans were great to me, you know, and, and I had a very good relationship. It was always simple to me. First of all, I was a Philly fan as a kid, yeah. so I get it. Um, second of all, I, you know, figured it, it's like, it's all about like playing hard, respecting the game, respecting Philly history. Um, you know, I think if you do all those things and, and you're open about it, I, I think they'll have your back, even if you're not hitting, you know, 375. So, um, it's, it, it was good to see. And I think it was not just good for Turner or Bohm in those moments, but for the whole team to see that they have a fan base that really has their back. All right, when you had maybe a time as a Philly where you had a, a long offer going, did they ever sing a song to you? Did they ever do anything <laughs> at, the, at the old vet? Were they singing to you in a long offer back in the day? <laughs> well, I don't know if they were singing, but um, 
I, you know, I fortunately you know, I had anytime I had like a big offer. Uh, thankfully, there wasn't a ton of those. Yeah. I had enough hits in there because I was always swinging. Uh, I would get the ball. I would stop the game and get the ball. And people were like, oh, is that your 500th hit? No, I'm just one for 21 right now. So I'm just getting the ball. So I stopped the game a lot of times, but I confused everybody. So that was always fun to me. But no, the Philly fans, they, they were good to me. And and um, and yes, it was hard at times. Look, I got booed. It's not that I didn't get booed. I, I uh, misread a ball and Eric Milton's could have been no hitter. And I got booed. And the next, next inning, Troy Hawkins threw a pitch in my head when I was trying to butt. And I ended up on my back. And they cheered for that, and I'm at home. Uh, but I got the butt down, and Burrow got the game-winning hit or someone, and that was it, you know? And I was upset, but I also knew that they were being consistent. There was nothing uh, inconsistent about it. So they get on you, but I think overall I had a good relationship. And, you know, I was living downtown in Philadelphia. Fans would stop me and walking across the street, and they, would, they wouldn't just be like, you're terrible, you're great. They'd be just like, hey, you got to work on tucking your front shoulder in, okay? Yeah. You got to get that closed, you know? You get your hands, a little, maybe if you put your elbow a little bit higher. I mean, I got hitting lessons from Philly fans uh, in, in downtown Philly. I mean, that's just, that's just Philly. I love Philly. Philly's a great town. All right, so if you're the Phillies, you know, there has been talk. I mean, it's you're not going to criticize anything offensively because they've been a juggernaut. Obviously, everybody's hitting. I mean, the numbers are off the charts. But, yes, are you going to remain where Castellanos, Riamuto are more down in the order? Castellanos is historically hot. Do you want to move him up a little bit? How would you do the order knowing that you're probably going to get right, left, right, left? I mean, you're going to see – I mean, in a staffing game, you could see anything. Yeah. We ask Rob Thompson this every day, especially when Castellanos had the four home runs in two games. And he's like – I come down, I just don't want to mess with it. You know, yeah. it's a uh, yeah, regular season. You might look at it differently. Like, oh, okay, game 39, like, okay, let's just move this guy up. But now when something's working and guys are comfortable and in the rhythm and you don't want to seem like you're panicking or being too knee jerk, I think, you know, his, his decision was more to keep the stability of it. So I think it's, you know, it could go a lot of different ways. Uh, now that they got shut down, you could sort of look at it differently. But, you know, these guys have overall been really good. And it's worked, like you said, the matchups, the righties and lefties are spaced a certain kind of way so that you can't just bring in Joe Mantiply and just kind of go through all these lefties. Uh, so that's what, that's what they're going to weigh. And, um, but, you know, once again, with these bullpen-type games, you know, you have to think differently. And you, all you're doing is trying to get one out at a time. Yeah. And you might use 12 pitchers, but that's all you want. And then you look up and hopefully you have the W. 27 outs. How do I get all these guys to get me 27 outs? Let's uh, quickly, before we let you go, switch over to the other series. We can't say we've never seen this before because we had the 2019 World Series. We saw where no one could take advantage of home field. And right now, I mean, it's a reality. It's like, can I, can I, it's road field advantage. It's like, I'm on the road. I have the advantage. I, it's the strangest thing. I mean, what do you make of when I can't win in my home yard and I can't lose wherever I go on the road? Well, that was the Astros season. I mean, they were 39 and 42 at home this year, which was terrible. And they were 51 and 30 on the road. That, that was their year. So the whole season, even after the Rangers wiped them out, I was like, they're right where they want to be. They're just good on the road for whatever reason. So, I, I just think it's like very consistent to how these teams have played this year. 
especially the Astros, they're kind of telling that narrative. And, and that's why uh, they could be in control of this series because of it. So um, that's Houston. You know, they, they had that kind of year. So, you know, you got two great managers with a lot of institutional knowledge going at it. They're going to use every trick in the book. Uh, they might bring in David Copperfield and try magic. You know, they might try anything. Uh, but they're a lot of fun to watch. And I love watching them, especially when Bochi was literally retired and Dusty was on the sidelines before the scandal. And look at what they're doing now. It, just, it speaks to the importance of having great people skills, managerial skills, and institutional knowledge. Uh, that still, still, it still means a lot. I don't care what formulas you figured out or algorithms you figured out or bullpen. Uh, it still comes down to having a balance between great information and great people skills. And um, and that's why this series is really fun to watch because it's like two heavyweight boxers going at it. What's the mindset you think right now, Texas, after losing these first two games at home? Well, you know, they still have another one to, to just right the ship. They still could be up 3-2 then go back to Houston. So um, they have a really good offense. You know, that, that's their, their explosive. Their bullpen is a weakness. That, that's their challenge. And if they, anytime I see them only get one inning or a third of an inning out of their starter, I'm like, they're in trouble because they, that ripples and there's no days off. Right. So the, not at least these three games. So you gotta, you gotta sort of pace yourself and it's hard to do when every out counts. So I, I thought that that was a bad sign that, the Astros got into their bullpen early because that is their weakness and, and it's a strength of the Astros. Well, I can't tell you during the playoffs, you coming on from Arizona means a lot. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We're listening and uh, it, it, Arizona's back in the series. You know, if they, if they lost yesterday, you're thinking, Oh, is this thing going to be four game and sweep, but it's not. Hopefully we, we got a good series, but thank you. Have a great call today. We appreciate it. And you be well. All right, appreciate you having me. Thank Always you. Pleasure, the great Doug Glanville right here on A's Cast Live. How cool is that? University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League guy, played in Philly. I mean, he knows Philly. He's on the uh, he's on the broadcast, uh, does television for the Cubs, professor at the University of UConn, does the podcast with Jason Stark for The Athletic. I mean, what doesn't this guy do? It's pretty busy. I don't know how you find him. I mean, he took he always is able to find time to come with us, so we're very yeah. grateful for that. Great to have him on. I mean, you, you think at the vet they were singing him a song back in the day? What, what, when did Citizens Bank open? I think he said it was 2004. <laughs> yeah, he played 98 through – let me see. I got this thing up here. He was 98 through 02 and then came back in 04. So he would have played the first year at Citizens Bank. So he played the vet, baby. The old turf basically put on top of concrete. Did he played the he played the first he played at Globe Life Park, right? Because he was a ranger. So yeah. He's played a couple of these ballparks as a home guy. But the roof was always open at that ballpark. Well he would yeah, he would have played across the street. Yeah. The roof was always open there. Oh my god, it was <laughs> miserable. I remember being there with the A's and Blue skies, hot Texas, right? We were there for a four-game set. That's the, the famous series that I actually pried Ray Fossey out of the ballpark to go to Texas Live to uh, go get the barbecue. Texas Live was great. I went there last year. It's an awesome spot. So Ray Fossey 
would never, ever, ever leave the ballpark. And I'm like, come on, Foss. We got. I want to get the barbecue place. Um, I'm like, Foss. We're going. We got to go across the street, town, and I, and I find it's Fossy. We're going. We got because we had. I don't know why we had a double header, but it was going to take forever. Which was it? Troy Aikman's got a place there. Pudge's got a place there. Lockhart Smokehouse. So I actually got Ray Fossey and a couple other people. Because, you know, these baseball guys, they, they, you know, they live at the ballpark. We walked across the street. Ray had the greatest time. And he was like, I'm so glad we did this, Downey. And, like, you go up, you order, and... Put it this way. When you get meal money, you order differently than you normally do, right? Because it's, like, funny. It's, like, for me, as you know, I have no problem throwing the credit card down. But this is, like, now you're just giving me cash? I just got cash? I'm rolling around cash. So I went up and I went, so this is a famous barbecue spot in Texas. Well, all right. I want the brisket. I want the ribs. I'll do the sausage. I I ordered, like, everything. I mean, I don't, I don't care. I'm not taking it back with it. I just want to try everything. And what do I care? This is meal money from the team. I ordered everything. I, I got deviled eggs with brisket on top of it. I had this whole thing. Fossey was laughing because, you know, who we we're with, they all got, you know, whatever they got. And I said, screw that. I'm ordering everything. So, and then I'm passing out ribs to everybody. Try this. Try this. Because I'm a big barbecue guy, right? So I want to try everything. So we went over there. And got to see Texas Live for the first time, and the barbecue was unreal. And then that was when, the very next day, blue skies, hot, everything's great, the storm. I don't know if you remember this. What year was it? Was it 2019 or 18 or something like that? When our plane got damaged from the tornadoes. Were you with us at the time? If you're on the, were you on the road doing play-by-play? Yeah. That was 19, so yes. So, tornadoes come in. My buddy was running golf courses in Plano, Texas at the time. Tornadoes ripped up their golf courses. They had two courses. The winds were so strong that the, that the stairs to our plane rammed into the wing of the plane and damaged the plane. This is literally Mickey Morabito's finest hour as traveling secretary because all of a sudden, this storm hits – we're we're doing. Alex Jensen was doing the well. Alex O'Brien is it Jensen or O'Brien now? It's, uh, I believe it's Jensen. Alex Jensen was <laughs> was was doing uh, A's cast for me. So the storms come in. Alex and I end up kind of doing a talk show to to get us through the rain delays. They end up banging the game because there's tornadoes. There was a crane. This is a tragic story. Somewhere in downtown Dallas. The winds were so – a crane fell over and some people lost their lives. I think it, it killed like two or three people. It was um, it was horrific. And so all of a sudden, we don't have a plane to get us to Tampa. So Mickey Morbido's like – he's scrambling. He gets some plane out of like – there was a plane in Santa Rosa. And the traveling secretaries all work together, right? So Peter Dufay, who I was working for the Raiders at the time, was our travel guy for the Raiders. He and Mickey are buddies. Peter Dufay, they're calling. They're, like, calling, trying to find a plane. 
Because this isn't like you just get like a little Cessna. We got a whole traveling party. You got to get a plane big enough for 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 the for for all the gear, all the all the people. So they find this plane out of Santa Rosa. So as this plane is flying from Santa Rosa to Arlington, Texas, we've got nothing to do. Game's over. Because the game after the tornadoes and everything, you know, we start playing the game again. And because we I don't think we bane the game. That's a game. That's the game that uh the rockhead left hander um what Rugnetto Door stole home on him. God, who was that rockhead we had? Probably not nice to say. Odor stole home on him. He was like angry that Odor stole home on him. Everybody's like, well, because you're a moron. That's why. Who was God? What was the left hander? Well, it's his, was this a starting pitcher? Or no, really? reliever. We used him a ton. Um, we had. Bookter. Ryan Bookter. Yeah. Odor stole home on Bookter. I'll never forget that. So. After the game, so I took Fosse to Texas Live on Saturday in between the doubleheader. This Sunday, we went back over to Texas Live. They were having this huge international soccer game at Jerry's World, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. The place is packed. It's packed. And I'm like, so Pudge Rodriguez has a pizza place. Troy Aikman's got a, uh, like a wine bar. This Texas Live thing's printing money. They claim to have the biggest screen in the United States that they can separate all these different games on the screen. It, I was like, they got a band playing. Well, we're waiting for our plane. We went over there. It was Boozapalooza. You're waiting for a couple hours in yeah. the plane to come, and you've got this huge international soccer, and the place is packed. It was like, boys, we're having a good time before we got on that plane to get to Tampa do you you, th- you think the life of Major League Baseball is glamorous? No. Arriving in Tampa, Florida at like 5 in the morning and you got to play that night. Ask me if I miss being on the road in baseball. Do you miss being on the road in baseball? Hell no. <laughs> hey, I, I'm like, people are like, don't you want? Nope. Football's different. Football travel is awesome. You leave on Friday for East Coast games. We left every Friday at 2 o'clock. You arrive there. It's nighttime. You go to dinner. Go do whatever you we used to do. You got all day Saturday. So I would, you know, I had no, no, no responsibilities until Sunday. I would go to museums or go to historical stuff, party all night, game on Sunday, get on the plane, come home. You know, if you're, like, playing, you know, if you're taking on, if the Raiders were playing the Chargers or, like, Arizona or whoever, you fly on Saturday. And then you got Saturday night game, fly home. NFL travel is the best. Baseball sucks. Getting into Tampa at 5 a.m. was brutal. But we had a great time at Texas Live. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They have it in Philly. I've been to Philly Live there. Philly Live is basically right across the street from Citizens Bank. And what the hell do they, Lincoln Finance, what do they call the? Uh, the Link. The yeah, Link. Lincoln, Lincoln Financial. It's still Lincoln Financial. Yeah. So that's right across the street. Philly's got Philly's got the same. They have a couple of these around the country. Wells Fargo Center's there too, where the Flyers and we could have Sixers built play. one years ago when we had all these teams. You could have had Oakland live, but they're gone. It's cool. Like you go in and it's like restaurants, bars, entertainment right there. So you don't need to tailgate. You can go right in. Great barbecue. Great, great whatever. 
you know, you take the wife over to the wine bar. It's got everything that you need. You got kids. You go up to Pudge Rodriguez's Pizza Place. And then Texas Live from their new ballpark literally is like 15 yards. Yep. I want to say it's like 20 steps, yeah, I, and you and you could be right in their stadium. Yeah, I did it last year. It was, it, was, it was pretty awesome, that whole experience there. Now, the only problem is you got to be in Texas. Uh, correct, yes. And Arlington, Texas is basically – they've done an unbelievable job. Like, you want to talk about a rival area stealing your – Stealing your digs, stealing your guys. Because everybody thinks, oh, it's Dallas. It's Dallas. Oh, really? Okay, you can have the Mavericks. You can have the Stars. Cowboys, Arlington. Rangers, Arlington. Arlington did an unbelievable job. Like, I got the skinny on it. I'm like, huh, how did this suburb from way out of Dallas have the two biggest franchises. Because you may say, well, the Mavericks have won a title, Mark Cuban. It doesn't matter. Baseball's got 81 home games. And by them building the roof, they now know they've got 81 home games, no matter what. And you got the Cowboys basically on the same facility. I'm taking that over the Mavericks and the Stars any day of the week. Amazing what Dallas lost. Well, I want to say the old Cowboys stadium was in Irving, Texas. That sounds about right, yeah. Right? Doesn't that sound right? So, what? however it worked out, Arlington's become the big swinger in sports. They've built two baseball ballparks, Arlington has. <laughs> right across the street from each other. The other one's called Choctaw Stadium, I think, now, and they use it for, like, high school baseball and college. High school football. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they do uh, – do they get an, an outdoor team, too? They do concerts. It's a be- – their they're old ballpark's beautiful. Globe Life. It's just Park. outside, and it's super hot. Right? There's a field. What's it now? That's what I'm trying to remember. I always get thrown off by it. Um, Whatever it is now, the other one's the opposite. If this is park, then that's field. Globe Life Field. Okay, the other one's park. Yeah, so the new one's field, the other one's park, yeah. So Globe Life Park is being used for like as a venue for all kinds multi, – multi-use of venue now. So It's beautiful. You know, there was a little – I was waiting to see how I wanted to bring this up with you. Um. Well, oh, the research packet is here. Well, Glanville was on. There was news. There was some news from the uh, Boston Globe about who just recently interviewed for the uh, the old Red Sox head position. All right, hold on. Do I need to prepare for it? Yes. Wow, somebody I know. Yep. Personally, been on this program before. Wow. Okay. Been on this program, and he was in the Bay Area. And he's interviewed for the Boston job. I'm going to say he didn't work for us. No. He's a giant. Yep. Not going to be Brian Savian. Nope. Um, Ned Coletti? Nope. Mm-hmm. He used to be a farm director. Farm director for the Giants? No. But he worked Ooh. for the Giants. Once a manager of the year with the Giants. Manager of the year? Yeah. Knows Farhan well. Former Red Sox player. No! Gabe Kapler? Gabe according Kapler? To Ma- according to Major League sources, former Giants and Phillies manager Gabe Kapler has interviewed with their Boston Red Sox about leading their baseball operations department. As the CBO? 
it says that he's the um, from according to what I screenshotted. Um, an unexpected name has emerged in the Red Sox search for a new head of baseball operations. So yeah, he'd be the head. He wouldn't be the GM. He'd be the guy leading the GM. Oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! There's no way you're selling that. No way. And by the way, CBS Sports just put it out. Gabe Kapler interviews with Red Sox. <laughs> Boston's prolonged search for a new baseball exec adds unexpected candidate. Oh, my God. Let's see what they say. Did you get that off CBS? No, it was Boston Globe. Wow. So he's not. See, I'm confused. I am really confused. Are they do? Is this? Um, because I have seen they they're all over the map. I have seen they have they've interviewed guys for the CBO position, mm-hmm. right? And they've interviewed guys for the GM. Yes. Like uh, there were some guys that turned it down, like Fold and other guys that turned on the chance to interview. But I believe it was the the Twins GM Thad Levine interviewed because Derek Falvey, the head of baseball operations, did not want to interview. Um, I'm just trying to remember what other candidates even interviewed for that job. Um, I'm pretty sure I think I saw Neil Huntington's name. It's in the former Pirates GM. Yeah. Uh, but Gabe Kapler, now the newest name to interview for the head of baseball operations, it looks like, according to the Boston Globe. Wow. Wow, it is. <laughs> well, they're bringing back a former Red Sox, so he has Red Sox ties. Um, And he was a farm director. Kapler is a smart dude. Like, I, I never – I never – I never want to crap on him like a lot of people have because, like I, I I think I've told this story, I used to have Gabe Kapler on my talk show on 95.7 back when he was a Fox guy. And you could go a lot of different directions with Kapler. Yeah, you could get into analytics. You could get into fitness. You could get – I mean, he can get it totally into mental health. I mean, Kapler is a bright man. Burgers, big burger guy. Steak guy. I mean, he, he, he cycling. You can his Instagram. I mean, he he once did a beautiful ribeye steak on his Instagram. I was very impressed. <laughs> I Kapler is not a. I mean, he is a bright guy. So I'm not totally shocked. Maybe just maybe because remember he was in the Dodgers front office. Yeah, he was their farm director. So it's like maybe managing people in uniform. Is you're not going to shut out someone who's smart, right? That's not that's not a good idea. Sometimes in life you just got to find out what 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 is what's your calling, and maybe managing from inside the dugout and in uniform is not your calling. But maybe he could be a brilliant front office guy. But you just go. It just you start to wonder. When you just start interviewing all these different people, and I know there's gonna, hey, you know, strategy, we're gonna, we're, 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 we're gonna check, we're gonna check with everybody. We're gonna do our due diligence. No stone unturned, as they'd like to say. But then are you just guessing? 
I mean, what does that say? Like, somebody's got to wow you in the interview. And then let's 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 face it. Some people are great are great subjects at interviewing. Some people are phenomenal at interviewing. You know, in our business, I've worked with somebody like this. They're fabulous when they're the person that's being interviewed. The minute they got to be a host, they're awful. And everybody just goes, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. He was so good on the radio when he was being interviewed. But the minute he's got to be the guy in the other chair, awful, like awful, so unnatural, so uncomfortable, and it never developed. So I can get in front of you and be somebody. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you somebody who's out of the Bay Area now who best describes this. Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman is phenomenal at interviewing. Great personality, smart, knows how to read the room, knows how to work people. Eric Musselman is phenomenal at interviewing. And some of you Warrior fans may forget he was once the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. This is a guy who out of nowhere kind of be kind of got a little celebrity by constantly coming on and being great with Jim Rome. Right? He was constantly on with Jim Rome back when a lot of people I I, I don't know what Jim Rome's reach is now, but back in the day, Jim Rome's reach was pretty, pretty big. Rock that guy. And Muscleman would come on, and Muscleman was phenomenal. Muscleman, and I don't, I don't want to say he was bad. What was his final record with the Warriors? Because mm, at one point they actually played pretty decent under Muscleman. Because he's now the head coach of the of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, uh, he was seventy five and eighty nine in mm. two years of the Warriors. They weren't good, but there was the times where they played better. He got fired, then gets the job with the Sacramento Kings and got the DUI right away. It just kind of sabotaged the whole, and it just went downhill from there. And then out of nowhere, resurrects Reno, UNR. And the Martin then, Twins. And then now he's at Arkansas. But people will tell you, no question, Eric Musselman, when it came to wowing ownership, wowing in the interview, Musselman was, was that guy. And I think Kapler's got a lot of that. I think Kapler's got a lot. He gets in front of you and starts talking. He's an impressive man. Like, we had him on. Yeah, at the winter meetings, right? 2019. Like, we've had him on on this show. I've had him on the other show, and uh, he's phenomenal. But what, but what will he be? Like, it's, like, funny. Like, what are they What are they interviewing Craig Breslow for? Is it GM? Reports are saying that. But then I've seen reports. Other guys have, have interviewed for the CBO job, their chief baseball officer. Like, it's kind of like they're bringing guys in, and it's going to be like, huh, how will we – you know, they're bringing them in to, to identify how will we move them inside the Red Sox. Do we want them to run this? Do we want them to run that? I don't know. It's a pretty big job. Boston Red Sox, big market, big money, big job, high expectations. They just kind of seem like they're they're all over the board right now. I'm just waiting for the storylines if, in a hypothetical world, Kapler somehow got the job in Boston. And it comes down to Shohei Otani is going to land with the Giants, and all of a sudden Kapler swoops in and steals Otani from far <laughs> The The storylines, the Giants media, how they would react. Oh, my God, it would be great. 
Well, you know, you're going to hear the same things you heard about Breslow, right? He checks the boxes. He's, he checks analytics. He knows how to get analytics into the dugout. Being a former manager, right? They're gonna, this, these are the things that they're going to say. Watch. He'll check the boxes, right? He understands what's going on on the field because he's been a two-time manager. He's going to understand how to get the data to the coaching staff that gets to the players. I'm just waiting for the. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the the fans in Boston to revolt whenever something goes wrong, or you know, Kapler's putting out Instagram videos of him riding his bike to the ballpark. And how how are any of these guys different from Heimblum? Great question. That, hey, that, I mean, that's my thing. It's like you fired the guy. And then who is Mr. Analytics coming from Tampa was supposed to change. And people, well, he got rid of Mookie and he made him take David Price's money. And he did this and he did that. And the farm system's a little bit better now. I mean, what, what, what are you changing? Like what's dramatically going to be, what will be dramatically different from Craig Breslow and Heimblum? What will be dramatic? I mean, Gabe Kapler from Heim, what, what, what will be dramatically different? Well, you want well between between Breslow and uh, wait, didn't they both go? To, I think they both went to Yale, so there's that. They're in common with that. Well, let me <laughs> tell you something. You inherit whoever gets these jobs. You inherit Boston people. Majority of them have all been there a long time. I want you to think about that. A lot of the baseball operations people. It's not like you go in and clean house, and that may be one of the reasons why. Guys have said no to the job. I know one of these people. They have made it through Dombrowski. They've made it through Charrington. Who was before Charrington? Um, I mean, you're talking about Theo. Theo. I want to say, I mean, some of these people have been there before Theo. You've got people who have been there for over 20 years. They've got a lot of people inside their baseball operations group. It's a lot like the A's. That guys have been here 20, 25 years. So it's not like you're coming in going, you're all out of here. And I'm putting in my guys. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. Kind of Raider-esque. Like, I'm going to hire you and you're going to come in and you're going to make it work with the people that we have here. And that may be why some people like a John Daniels who has run the Texas Rangers goes, eh, no. I don't want to – I don't know who these people are. I don't know everybody. I'm sure they're competent, whatever, but they're not my guys. I'm not – if I have to If I have to still deal with people who have already been here for a long time, I don't want the job. I'm just waiting for the day till we get that alert on who they actually hire so we can talk about it. All right, let's update everybody before we get out of here. Teams that score first in this postseason, it's now changed. 21 21- and eight. Why? Because Philly scored first yesterday and lost. Correct. Yeah. That had been kind of bulletproof. The score first and win. That's still a winning percentage of seven twenty four if you score first. It's pretty high. <laughs> so twenty one and eight. You want to out Homer? Well, we didn't have a Homer in Arizona. What they both had two Philly and Arizona. Uh, Philly. I mean um, Texas and Houston. Houston. Yep. So. Out homer the opposition, 17-3. and three. That's a winning percentage of 850, even better. The last time the road team won four-plus games in a playoff series, you got to go back to, yes, the 2019 World Series. 
Nine members of the current team of the Astros, nine, were there in 2019. Only other team in LCS history. The road team won the first four games. Do you know when? The road team won the first four games? Yes. That means you win the first four games, you win the series, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Do you know when? No. You don't know? It'd be 93. Okay. Blue Jays over the Chicago White Sox. I remember it well. Cattell Marte is the sixth player in MLB history with a 12th or more uh, game, 12 or more game hitting streak to start a postseason career. The record is held by trains with one of our A's. Oh, um, you call oh, Marquise Marquise Grissom. Marquise Grissom had a 15 game hitting streak to start his career. That's pretty amazing. In 12 career postseason games. Marte has a 385 average and a 1,108 OPS. Only three players with three plus hit postseason games. Jose Altuve with 10. Record is Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter. Three or more hits in a game. They both did it 12 times. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about the Yankees, and maybe that will be something we do. Uh, coming up here with David Feldman. I am a notorious Yankees hater. I have all the respect in the world for them, but I respect them. And I've been thinking lately, the more we watch these games and break down postseason, the more you got to have respect for who the Yankees were in the late, late 90s, early 2000s the big games they played in, the numbers that they put up. I mean, you want to talk about being in the ultimate fight year after year after year after year. That is something that's really special. It really is. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, think about, I mean, go back to, what was their first one, 96? Yes. 96. 98, 99, 2000, getting walked off by Luis Gonzalez, 2001, Josh Beckett throwing nine innings, blowing them away, but in the sixth game of the World Series in 03. I mean, they were always there. They would have been there in 04 if it wasn't for the Red Sox' incredible comeback. Yeah, they were up 3 nothing. I mean, that, that, that Yankee crew was always there. Always there in the bright lights. Always, I mean, that, that's, just think about how hard it is. What we've seen the Astros do, how hard it is. They were doing that every year. Every year. Being in the World Series four straight years. I mean, the Yankees are the only team to do it. Multiple times. Being in the World Series four straight years. That's just, I mean, that's so much... How many high leverage situations? How many tough situations? Late in games. I mean, it's just in modern day baseball, we've seen nothing like it. Well, now the Astros. I mean, if the Astros get to this World Series, it's going to be five appearances in the World Series in eight years, right? This is 17, 19. Yeah. It's be three in a row if they make it. I mean, that's incredible. 
It really is incredible. Uh, another really big note, uh, Philadelphia, when you talk about run differential in a single postseason, they're at 32. 30, plus 32. Yeah. Even despite the loss, they're at plus 32. Their team ERA is 1.47. The only at second all-time to only the 1983 Orioles, who were 1.10. So you've got some, even though we're not having these drawn out to the very end series, you've got some historic stuff going on. And maybe in our next show, our next show is going to be when? Thursday. Next Thursday? Next Thursday, the the 26th. I thought about something that could be interesting to look at, especially in the offseason, is how baseball went the completely opposite way of football and basketball. How about that as a tease? Do you want a little, little? You want me to give you a little taster? Save it. Baseball went a different route than in style of play. Baseball went a different direction. Analytics took baseball one way, and football and basketball went another way. And I think I can prove it. How about that? All right, enjoy the games today. Philly, Arizona, Houston, Texas. We will be back on, because today's Friday, we will be back on Thursday at 1 o'clock. Correct, yep. And we will know who's in the World Series. Uh, Yeah, World Series starts next Friday. So we will break down the winners of the LCSs, and we'll get you ready for the World Series. We'll have a jam-packed show. We'll have all kinds of guests preparing you for the World Series. We'll be back on Thursday. We want to thank Doug Glanville. The smartest guy in sports media. <laughs> hey, he's Ivy League. That's true. He is. He's a professor at UConn. Does a lot of baseball. The great Doug Glanville. Always an honor to have him on the program. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all this baseball, and we'll see you next Thursday. This is Chris Townsend and Commander Cody for Link Soul. you got to go to their website right now, linksoul.com. The new polos are unbelievable. New colors, lighter weight. We got our new summer shipment, Cody. I couldn't be happier. I look better. All thanks to Link Soul. So we're talking about new polos. You can check out their shorts. Anything you need for summer, they have it right now. When you go to their website, they've got a smoking summer deal. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. Hey, it's Eno Saris, your friendly neighborhood baseball scribe. There are two things I love, baseball and beer. When I'm not busy around the ballpark, you'll likely catch me back with a cold one at any of Fieldwork Brewing's eight locations sprinkled across the Bay Area. Fieldwork's got a rotating lineup of over 20 beers on tap that's as diverse as any 26-man roster. They got everything from super juicy, hazy IPAs to crisp pilsners and tropical sours that make your taste buds do the wave. Whether you're all about that draft life or prefer to grab some cans to go, Fieldwork's got your bases covered. Check them out at fieldworkbrewing.com to learn more. That's fieldworkbrewing.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.